Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. And my sermon title is called Give What You Have. Talk about the Holy Spirit working all things together. So I wanted to start out with, oh, sorry, there's a step there. I wanted to start out with the first, uh, this first section about what are our biggest excuses for not sharing the gospel. So we've been in this whole series as in the days of Noah, and I hope that it has been affecting you. I know, I know for me, I've told so many people this, I've probably told everyone in this room here, but I began to re-listen to pastors' podcasts. Um, if you guys don't have, have access to the podcasts, you can get them online through our website. Go and re-listen to them. I promise you, you will get something new every time you listen to them. I've probably listened to Pastor Zach's sermon three times, and I've read through his notes a couple times as well. Um, but as I began to, to revisit them, as I began to revisit them, God just began to show up in a whole new way. You know, every time I listened, God began to peel another layer of my heart off and say, hey, hey, did you realize this? Hey, did you know this? So I would encourage you in that. You know, but the whole, the whole point of this, this series is to realize the hour in which that we live. You know, we live in the last days, the very last days. And if we just sit here as complacent Christians and don't share the gospel, we're missing it. We're missing it. There are people outside of these walls who are so desperate for Jesus and his life-giving message, they don't even realize it. They're trying to fill the void with everything else with sex and drugs and, and alcohol, with TV, with junk, with gossip, with staying on the latest drama, you know, looking on Facebook, you know, stalking everyone, knowing everyone's business. They're trying to fill this void of Jesus with everything but him. And they don't even realize it. We have to be the church. We have to be the church and we have to go. Jesus didn't call us to be a church that sits in the pews. He didn't. He said, go, go and make disciples of all nations, preaching the good news. Go, get out of your comfort zone and go. You can't sit there. So if y'all think I'm, I'm, I'm coming down on you, just realize I have literally given every one of these excuses that I'm listing here, and I've had to talk myself out of every single one of them. So we are not a church to sit in the pews but so many of us think, I'm not really an evangelist. I'm not the evangelist type. You know, I'll, I'll let those evangelists do it. How many of you guys have thought that? I have. I'm actually a pretty big introvert at the, at the core of myself. I don't like to talk to people. I really don't even like to be around people. I'd rather be by myself. So for me, I want to hide and let those people who like to talk to people share the gospel, right? 
right? That's their job. God didn't make me the mouth. I'm not the mouthpiece, you know. <laughs> Pretty funny. He did actually make me a mouth, but, you know. <laughs> you better watch it. Pastor Heather threw a microphone once. I might learn from her. Um, but I'm not really an evangelist. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. There's no caveat on that. I don't know if you guys have a special translation, but there's no caveat to that that says only those who like to talk to people, only those who like to hear their own voice should share the word of God. No, it's not. It says <laughs> it calls all of us. There's no excuse there. So if that's your excuse this morning, you don't have one. My next excuse and my favorite um, that I still run into this, to this day, I don't have time. You know, um, Pastor Heather has been talking a lot about it, but this isn't, a, this isn't a make a whole new agenda kind of a thing. There are seasons where we, will, uh, where we will go ahead and set aside time like at Thrive. When we went out and we were intentional, we shared door to door, you know. But most of the time, we're walking through our everyday life. You know, for me, I've got three kids tailing behind me. I don't have time to just go door to door and say, do you know about Jesus? Can I help you? Can I help you know about Jesus? I'd love to. It'd be awesome if I could do that all the days of my life. But I don't have time. I've got, there is a reality that we have to face. And so it's not about making a whole new agenda. It's about asking God for divine appointments along your way. Ask him. He will, he will give you people along your way. You know, are, are you going to the grocery store? I had this happen the other day, literally. I'm in the grocery store. I've got all three kids with me, and it's a little chaotic, but the Lord said, you know what, you need to stop and love on this lady a little bit longer, and it wasn't even, hey, do you know Jesus, can I introduce you to Jesus, it was just loving on her a little bit longer, and it was giving her the word of God without even attaching, you know, attaching a stigma of this is God, it was loving on her, but you know what's funny, I go to that grocery store all the time now, it's my new grocery store, and so I'm going to see that lady time and time again, and so as I begin to love on her, and pour into her, God will open that door for me to speak into her life. The same thing, our hairdressers, you know, we all get, we all go get our hair done, even guys, some of you do your own, you can tell yourself about Jesus, um, but for, for the ladies and those guys who get their hair done, you know, talk to your hairdresser. I laugh, Joe has this whole new thing about his beard, he's all about his beard, and he's been researching, researching barbers, I did not know you needed to research a barber. I just thought you went to a barber, but he researched with barber. <laughs> so he went to a barber the other day and actually had a very interesting experience. Didn't really like it. So what did he do? He went. He went to another barber just to go talk to him, just to go see what they're all about. I'm still ringing really bad. I don't know where it is. It's something. But he went to the barber just to go talk to him, just to go... Um, just to, go, just to go see what, what they're all about. And, you know, he, he was able to start a relationship there. So this is going to be his new barber, I guess. And so he's, you know, he's going to begin to pour into that, that barber and, and raise him up. That barber had a, a Bible on his, his thing, so he may already know Jesus. 
but he can connect him in with the body of Christ and connect him in with Night of Hope, even if he has his own home church. He connect him, can connect him in to what, what God is doing. You know, so there's, there's a way for all of us. And my favorite one is uh, your neighbor, you know. I, I don't know when it happened, but there's a time and place or time and point in life, the time span of time. Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, there's a time span where we moved from knowing our neighbors, knowing their story, you know, knowing who they were to now, I don't talk to my neighbor. Don't, I don't, I don't want to know them. I might have to talk to them. I might have to actually be nice to them, you know. Um, you know, but, but who's your neighbor? It's one of the easiest ones. You know, we just moved into an apartment uh, complex, so we've got 12 units in our building. We have 11 other neighbors that we can get to know just in our building. There are like 35 buildings in our apartment complex. Oh, my word. I have so many neighbors. But guess what? They're right at home. They're right along my way. And I can reach God for them. <coughs> I don't want to seem pushy and judgmental. You know, it's funny. We live in a world where don't, don't actually say your opinions. Because if you don't agree with me, you're being very judgmental. That's a bunch of baloney. Oh, my goodness. I can disagree with you, and we can still be friends. It's okay. I'm not judging you. I, I'm walking in the truth of the word of God. You know, this, this is what I stand by. And if you don't stand by it, of course, we're going we're gonna to clash a little bit. That doesn't mean I can't love you. You know, it says in Proverbs 29, 25, it is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. But if you trust the Lord, you are safe. You know, don't worry about all that others are thinking about you. I think back to when we studied um, in, in uh, ancient wells. We studied Jonathan Edwards, and we studied George Whitfield, and we studied the Wesley brothers. You know, all of them, all of them had a point in their life where they were coming under attack because people didn't agree with them. Did that stop them? No. If we, if we worry about all that people are saying about us, if we worry about all that, we'll keep our mouth shut, and we won't actually spread the word of God. The next one is a three-part. It's uncomfortable, I'm scared, and I don't see an urgency for it. Actually, it's four parts. Someone else will do it. If you are uncomfortable, it probably means that God is stretching you, and you need to grow. And that's a good thing. You know, if you're uncomfortable sharing the word of God, do it anyway. Do it anyway. He's growing and he's birthing something new in you. If you're scared, you know, how many of you go to talk to people, and, you know, if you're like me and you're an introvert and you're like, oh, my goodness. <coughs> Start shaking in your boots. Remember that you have the power inside of you to be his witnesses. Acts 1.8. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry about that. It's not about you. It really isn't. I don't know when we thought, started thinking that, that evangelism and, and being Christians and sharing the word of God is about us. But it's really this really very false notion. So if you've got that in your head, just wipe it out right now. Um, 
if you don't have the urgency of the hour, you must not really think that hell is a very real place. I love this. We're, we're in Jonathan Edwards' class. If you're not in it, sign up for it today. I know it's not too late. <clears throat> it's a great class. But um, from, from the book God's Passion for His Glory, John Piper says this. Hell is unspeakably real, conscious, horrible, and eternal. <coughs> the experience in which God vindicates the worth of his glory and holy wrath on those who would not delight in what was infinitely glorious. If infinitely valuable glory has been spurned and the offer of eternal joy in God has been finally rejected, <clears throat> an indignity against God has been committed so despicable as to merit eternal suffering. Thus, Edward says, <coughs> God aims at satisfying justice and the eternal damnation of sinners, which will be satisfied in their damnation. But yet, there never will come that particular moment when it can be said that now justice is satisfied. <coughs> Of the love of God and the wrath of God, Edward simply says, both will be unspeakable. His wrath will be unspeakable. Do you get that? Those who are lost to the pit of hell will have to live through an eternal pouring out of God's wrath. Can you imagine you know, those of us who, live, who, who are Christians who believe are going to heaven and we're going to live in a place where we're eternally feeling the joy of God. We're eternally getting to know him. <coughs> we're eternally <coughs> going to be in a place where we can know him and feel the goodness of God. But those who end up in hell, they... <laughs> Every bit of his wrath will be poured out on them for every day for eternity. When I think about that, my heart breaks. It breaks. Why would I not want to share his word when I think about that fact? I don't want anyone to go to hell. And if I can do anything about it with God's help... I sure as heck am going to try. You better believe it. I'm going to try because I don't think that anyone, I don't want anyone to go through that. God came to save us from what we, what we deserved. We deserved to go to hell. We deserved his wrath all the days of our life. But he saved us from that. We don't have to live there. I love this quote from Reinhard Bonnke. It says, little children, it is the last hour, 1 John 2.18. I know that it seems <coughs> that this hour has lasted very long. As John wrote those words over 19 centuries ago, <coughs> do not let the fact confuse you. We can be certain of one thing. If it was the last hour then, <coughs> it most certainly is now. If John were writing today, he would probably write, little children, <coughs> it is the last second of the last hour. 
you know, we live in the last days. <coughs> we live in the last hour. The last second of the last hour. There's no time for complacency. <coughs> There's no time for a comfortable Christianity. But that's what this world tells us that we need. That's what this world, American Christianity has become. Just come into church, get your good message, get your pat on the back, and leave. Never be transformed. <coughs> Never actually change. Never actually do the works of God. But it's the last second of the last hour. How can we sit by? I was doing so well in worship. <coughs> if you think someone else will do it, Doc Dobbins always said, the church is one generation away from extinction. If we all choose to sit by, if we all choose to sit by, the church will go away. There'll be no church for my kids. <coughs> if I don't share the gospel, there will be no church for my kids. For my, my little Lily and Anna and Levi, they will not have a church to go to. <coughs> Is that what you want? <sighs> there are many, too many people to reach. <coughs> I could not reach them all. <sighs> you know, if we were supposed to be reaching them all, God would have, Jesus would have modeled that while he was on the earth. You know, if we were supposed to reach everyone on the earth just by ourselves, Jesus would have done that. But what did Jesus do? His model, he had his 12. Within that, he had his three that he poured into. You know, he, he, he had a specific group of people that he was pouring into and replicating himself in that they could go forth and become the church, that they could go out and continue the church. Because if he just held a bunch of crusades, <coughs> if he just held a bunch of crusades and said, you know what, you're left to your own devices, I'm not going to raise anyone up that can actually lead the church would have died out, but that's not how he chose to do it. He chose to do it in a way that he would bring a few people. So who, who's your few? Maybe not even your few. Who's your one? Who's your one that you're pouring into? Who's your one that you're, you're, you're beginning to come alongside? <coughs> and the last one was, I don't have anything to give. The disciples were unlearned men. They were unlearned men. And God used them to start, to start the church. In Acts 4.13 4, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. <coughs> and they realized they had been with Jesus. That's the only qualifier there. Have you been with Jesus? Pastor always says it. 
Have you been with Jesus? Have you been saved for a minute? <coughs> you have something to give. I don't care where you're at on your journey. You have something to give. So give what you have. So real fast, I'm going to fly through and hopefully not cough too much through. Um, in John 6, 1 through 14. You know, we see the scene of the feeding of the 5,000. <coughs> the disciples, you know, the disciples and Jesus are going away. <coughs> the disciples and Jesus are going away to be on their own. But these pesky crowds keep following him. They'd gotten a taste of Jesus, and they wanted more. <laughs> hey, I mean, that's how it goes. And so uh, the, the crowds ca came around. Jesus saw the crowds, and he said he, he had compassion on them. He looked to Philip and the disciples, and he, he asked them, you know, how, how are we going to... How are we going to feed them? <coughs> In verse 6 it says, But he said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. So Philip answers, <coughs> You know, I don't have enough money. Even 200 denarii would be enough, not enough bread for them. Even all the money that we have in our, in our possession wouldn't be enough for them. So they went and they found a little boy who had five loaves and three fish. <coughs> and Jesus gave thanks and began to break the bread and fed all the 5,000. He fed all of them. So much so that there were 12 baskets left over. You know, this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So I think it's a pretty significant one. And I want to take a look person by person, or section by section. First, I want to look at Jesus. You know, he was withdrawing to be alone with his disciples. He had been traveling. They had just crossed the Sea of Galilee. How many of you know? You've been ministering, you know, or you've been doing whatever. And, You've been going through life. You're busy. You're running. <coughs> you're running from place to place. You know, you've been traveling. You might stink a little bit. You might be a little sweaty. <coughs> you might need to go brush your teeth. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a convenient time to be interrupted to go do ministry to people. You know, I've run into this in my life. At our, our last house that we lived at, we had a particular neighbor for, for, who for about the four, first six months wouldn't talk to us, you know. We'd say hi, but not really talk. And then all of a sudden something happened. Something changed. And I don't know what it was. But he started talking to us all the time. 
And I mean, it was the most inconvenient times. It was always like right when I'm coming home trying to get my kids into nap, you know. I'm like, dude, don't you know that if I don't get them into nap in the next 20 minutes, they're going to get overly tired and I won't get any nap from them. Like, this is, this is too much. <coughs> or my favorite, I'm carrying in all three kids by myself. And then I've got all the groceries to get in. And, you know, all my frozen stuff is thawing. And, oh, my goodness. But every time, every time. And so for the first little bit, I, I, I ignored it. And I was like, oh. <sighs> I, I, I'll just pretend like I didn't hear him. <laughs> I really did. It was so bad. Oh, my gosh. I'll pretend like I didn't hear him. Then, then, I'll, um, then, then he'll stop talking to me. But he kept talking to me. He just started talking louder. So I knew that he was talking to me. <laughs> and I couldn't get away from it. So finally one day the Lord said, you know what? <coughs> you better make time for him. You know, are you so busy that you can't take time for one person? <coughs> and it got me. So I said, I said, no, Lord, I will do what you ask. So, <coughs> so I talked to him. And what's funny is he was like, hey, I've been looking for a church. I've really been looking for a church. Oh, thank you. Y'all are so good to me. I got a collection of like several different kinds. <laughs> um, you know, y'all are so good to me. But he, he uh, where was I? He asked for a church. There it is. Um, he said, I've really actually been looking for a church. What church do you go to? So I began to be able to share. <coughs> and I shared, I shared with him about, you know, what we do and who we are. He still hasn't walked through the doors of this church. But I know one day when he gets to the very darkest hour in his life, when he gets to the last, you know, the last, the, the last thing he can stand, he'll know a good church to turn to. Does it matter that he didn't come here and get saved right away? No, it mattered that I was obedient and shared. <coughs> you know, Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. This is a, a spiritual compassion. <coughs> a spiritual compassion that was obtained only in his intimacy with, with God the Father. You know, if you find yourself in a place of lacking compassion, um, first of all, come talk to me. I'm the queen of that. I've walked around that mountain a few times and climbed over it finally. You know, but if you're lacking compassion, where do you find it? You find it in Christ. As you begin to seek his face, you begin to see things through his eyes. And you begin to see with his heart. You begin to see the people in a totally different light. And you look at those people that you once would have walked past and said, I don't have time for them. They're not worth it. And you realize how precious they are in God's sight. You realize how precious they are to him. <laughs> you know, and, and, and with that, he had compassion on them. It's a spiritual compassion. It's not something that we can we can get ourselves. It's also something that, that happens as we are obedient and as we step out. You know, the more you step out and share the word of God, the more you get his heart. 
I think of Lily. You know, my, my little Lily has run around here her whole life. You know, and, and when she was really little, she used to stand at the top of this step. And Joe, being the, the, the dad that he is that plays with his kids so much, said, Lily, jump off. Jump off. Just come on, jump. I'll catch you. And she was terrified. She didn't want to do it. But finally, she put the trust in her father and jumped off, and he caught her. And then she wouldn't want to stop doing it. <laughs> it's kind of how it goes with sharing the word of God with people. You know, you, you're scared. You don't have the compassion. You've got all the excuses. But the first time you do it, you get a little taste. And then you don't want to stop doing it because you realize, you realize I put my trust in God. And I'm obedient. I do what he's asked. And then it's fun. <laughs> you know, Jesus asked the disciples to test them, but he knew what he was going to do. You know, it's interesting that he asked Philip. <coughs> Philip had actually been with him the longest. Um, but also, Philip was from the area that they were in. He was from that area, so he probably knew people in the crowd. He probably knew people in the crowd and knew their stories. So if anyone should have compassion on the people, it would have been Philip. You know, I look around, you know, and, and God, God has sent us to Akron. You know, we're, I'm not from this area. I claim it now. Um, but Akron is in trouble. I, don't, I read every week about more and more heroin deaths. You know, I was trying to look it up, and every time I looked it up, the number changed. We have over 30 or 236 heroin overdoses since July. Since July. Akron's in trouble. It's in trouble. Where do you live? In the Akron area. You're called to have compassion. Don't be like Philip, who was of that area and saw the people and didn't lack the compassion for them. But be like Jesus, who sees this area and has compassion and is moved to action. You know, <clears throat> there's a great heritage here in Akron. It doesn't have to have this story of all the heroin deaths. It doesn't. If we as Christians will stand up and walk out in boldness, in holy boldness, we will see a difference in Akron. We will see God move and make a difference in this city. I hope that you want that. I hope that you aren't okay with all of the, the chaos and the things that are happening in this world. I hope it makes you unsettled when you think about all the bad things that are happening. You know, I have a friend of mine on Facebook who, who keeps posting all these, all these stories of, of things that are happening and all these bad things. And they're like, oh, I just want to hide my family away. I just want to hide them away from all the bad things. Yes, when I look at the world, I want to protect all of my kids. But when I look at the world, I see a broken world that needs Jesus so much more than me worrying about the comfort of my own family. I could stay within the four walls of my house, 
and make no difference for the kingdom. That it'd be a shame and it'd be a loss. You know, God, God knew what he was going to do. You know, he asked, <coughs> he asked them, knowing full well the miracle that he was planning on it. Acts 15, 8, it says, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. <coughs> says the Lord, Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We may not know what God is doing, but we can be certain that God is never in a place of uncertainty. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing in every circumstance. He knows the end of all of our days. You know, I'm reminded of this, this recent move. Joe and I laugh because we've moved, I think it's up to seven or nine times, seven times. Um, and we've been married five years. It's more than once a year, praise the Lord. <coughs> but this last time I felt, I felt an urgency to move. Um, you know, just to, to get us in a different place um, in our lives to simplify, to take us to a place where, where we, could, we could just simplify and focus on what God was doing in us. But what's funny is God had a bigger vision. He knew that me moving to this apartment complex was, <coughs> was more than just me getting my life right, you know, getting a few things simplified so that I could listen and hear it wasn't about me. It was a little bit. But it wasn't about me. Ultimately, ultimately, it was about what God wanted to do. And so now I look at this and I see God has placed me in a place where I have over 30 buildings of people. Over 30. I don't even begin to know how many apartments there are in this place. But you better believe there's, a, there's a, a massive amount of people in one area. And God has put it on my heart. He's burdened me with this, this apartment complex. He said, look, you may be here to simplify and get your stuff right. But while you're here, I want you to walk out. I want you to walk out your front door and I want you to begin with just one. And I want you to see this apartment complex rocked for Jesus. You know, that goes back, it goes back to the where are you. You know, it's right, right where you are. God is never in a place of uncertainty. So as he looked up to heaven and as he broke the bread, um, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. You know, Jesus wouldn't have looked up to heaven and broken the bread and began this, this uh, miracle unless he saw God doing it first. He knew. And then I love this point. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. And then he began teaching them. You know, I don't think it said in the John version, but if you look across all of the, the versions of this, you know, it said that, he began teaching them. He fed them spiritually first. He began to feed them spiritual food. And then afterwards, he didn't leave them destitute and want. 
He fed them in the natural. It's a great principle. Food and Jesus go well together. Y'all want a great thing to, to uh, a great way to, to reach people? Invite them to dinner. Food and Jesus really do go well together. But, you know, it's also a great model for follow-up. It's a great model for follow-up because we come to church, we invite people to church, and they get fed spiritually. And if they get fed spiritually and they leave our doors and never get to know any one of us, and never get to, to, to connect with the body of Christ. The human heart is fickle. They'll move on. They'll drift off. But if you will invite them to lunch, invite them into your life, invite them out for coffee, whatever it is. If you will invite them and get to know them, they'll begin to feel connected to the body. And it'll be a heck of a lot harder for them to leave. You know, how many, how many of you know when you were first saved? I was saved and raised in church, so I have this story a few times. <coughs> you know, you get saved and you're on this, this spiritual high of, oh, Jesus is so awesome. And, and, and you live in this, this world where you're just kind of in a different place. Like, you, you, reality doesn't touch you, you know? But then you get to your day-to-day -day life, and it smacks you in the face. And you're like, whoa, I thought I just gave my life to Jesus. And now all this hard stuff's happening to me? Oh, my goodness. You know, that's what happens. You know, it is. It's what happens. You, you get saved in church, and it doesn't mean that your life's going to go perfectly from that point on. It doesn't. Reality is going to smack that new Christian in the face. Who's going to be there to help them walk through and say, it's okay. It's just God stretching you. Press in. He's growing you. Press in through the trials. You know, another, um, a shameless plug here, but next Sunday, we have this model worked out beautifully for you. Come to church in the morning. And what do we have right after church? Food. Lunch, games, a way for you to get to know others. Invite people to that. Use that as your testing ground. Really, seriously. If you're scared to take them out one-on-one -on -one to O'Charlie's or whatever, use it as your testing ground. Because if you run out of things to say, you can just look at someone else and say, oh, hey, have you met my friend? And pass them off, you know? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm being bad. I do run out of things to say sometimes, though. So it helps. If you want a place to practice in safety with people who can come around you and help you, do it next week. <coughs> and real quick, I love this picture. He, Jesus commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. You know, it says he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. This is a beautiful parallel to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. <coughs> Just as a shepherd cares for his sheep, so the Lord cares for his people, providing their needs, guiding them, and protecting them. You know, the, Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. But he had them sit down in the green pastures where they were at a place of rest. And he began to, began to provide physical nourishment for them. 
when you are in a place of chaos and turmoil. This is completely separate. When you're in a place of chaos and turmoil, turn to Psalms 23. Begin to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. You know, he, 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 he will lead you in a place of peace and safety amidst the storm. He will lead you. You know, and that it, it, when you're in that, that place of, of everything's rising all around you <laughs> and you can't see over the wave, just begin to dwell on that. Speak it over your life. Write it on your mirror. Write it in, you know, on a post, uh, post-it note in your car. Because the Lord is your shepherd. So let's take a look at the crowds. Um, their likely number was anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people. You know, it says the 5,000, but that's really only the men. Um, so there was a lot, a lot. Um, and it, they were hungry. You know, I said earlier, they had seen what Jesus had done, and they were hungry for more. They were hungry for more. You know, it's funny. I look at modern day, and, you know, I've been in so many different um, Christian circles where they, you know, they say, well, people are just close to the gospel. They, you know, or as Pentecostals, you know, they're just freaked out by the, the, the Holy Spirit weirdness. Can I just ask you for a second, what kind of TV shows are popular right now? Let's just think about it. They're all weird, weird things like vampires, you know, and, and, and witches and psychics. The world's hungry for the supernatural. They really are, you know. I, <laughs> Joe and I started watching America's Got Talent this summer, and uh, the number two runner-up, or the number two in the, number one runner-up, I can't speak, um, number one runner-up in the competition was this psychic, psychic group. It was really just a magician that was pulling tricks on everyone, but they were portraying this psychic ability. And what's funny is we watched, and the first time we watched, we're like, wow, how did they do that? That's actually kind of fascinating. You know, not that I thought that they were psychics, but it was it was very fascinating. So by but by the last time, they were boring, and I had figured out all their tricks. But they were still number two. There were so many people that I thought were so much more talented than them. But what was it? America's hungry for the supernatural. They're fascinated by it. They're fascinated by it. They want a power that's greater than them to believe in. We have the only true one. So why not share it? Um, <coughs> Matthew, Matthew Henry says, Christ's miracles drew many after him that were not effectually drawn to him. You know, we see this crowd of ten to 20,000 people that were drawn to Jesus. But how many people were left at the day of Pentecost? 120. You know, we, we get down on ourselves when we sow the seed and we get discouraged because not everyone came to Jesus. Not everyone answered the, the call. Not everyone, not everyone, you know, 
did it and 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 followed and and came and became a church member and part of the the crew and <coughs> we get discouraged but even Jesus had crowds of 20,000 people and ended up with only 120 at the day of Pentecost those are pretty bad numbers <laughs> pretty bad numbers i think he modern day he would probably be his board would be looking at him like uh are you being effective but for him, it wasn't about the numbers. It was about pouring into the few that they would be able to go out. You know, he knew the secret wasn't in converting a ton of people and leaving them to, to be on their own. He knew the secret was pouring into the few, pouring into the few, and raising them up so that they could become the church. So let's look at the disciples. In Mark, we see they had been teaching and healing people. In fact, it said they were so busy they didn't have time to eat. Every mom in this building knows about that. Um, we've all been so busy we forget to eat. But when they came time for another miracle, they had just been healing people. When it came time to do another miracle, another impossible thing, they didn't have the heart of Jesus for the crowd. And they saw only in the natural a way to fulfill it. They didn't see the supernatural. They missed it. They really did. You know, they had been with Jesus and witnessed so many miracles, and they had begun. Jesus had started sending them out to do miracles themselves, but they missed it. Um, so then we look at the little boy. This is my favorite part of the story. You know, um, it said he had... Loaves and fishes, and the loaves were barley loaves. The, the, uh, Matthew Henry says the provision was coarse and ordinary. They were barley loaves. Canaan was the land of wheat. Its inhabitants were commonly fed with the finest wheat. Yet Christ and his disciples were glad of barley bread. You know, he didn't have the most fancy lunch on the planet. He didn't have a gourmet lunch. He just had a few loaves of barley bread and some fish. And so I imagine, I imagine the scene, because, you know, I, I wonder, how, how did Andrew know that he, this little boy even had the food? You know, and so you can ponder. I'm, I'm posturing my own um, reading into Scripture a bit here, so take it as you will. But I imagine a scene. You know, it's a little boy. I imagine a scene where... He, you know, the, the disciples are talking with Jesus and they're, they're um, discussing how they're going to feed the multitudes of people. And this little boy comes up and says, I, I have something. Will this help? You know, will this help? How many of you have, have been around kids where, where they have such a heart to just help? They have such a heart to just help and be a part that they'll give whatever it is that they have. It may not be enough, but they, will this help? I love it. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You know, maybe, maybe he shyly spoke up. Maybe the disciples found him and just took his lunch. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I hope they didn't take his lunch. I like my story better. But the point is this. He gave what he had, 
And in Jesus' hands, it was multiplied. It wasn't five course. It wasn't great. It wasn't grand. But the little that he had, he gave. And Jesus multiplied it. So will you be like the disciples who Jesus asked? He was raising them up. It was their job. He was raising them up. Asked them to solve the problem. And they only saw with their natural eyes, not through the eyes of faith. They didn't have the heart of Christ and made excuses for not ministering to the crowd. But God still moved, and they missed out. Well, will you be like the little boy who is willing to be obedient and give what he had? Even though it was meager, even though what he had wasn't much, he gave what he had. He put it in Jesus' hands, and it was multiplied. You are carriers of his presence. Every one of you has something to give. Will you be like the little boy today and take what little you have, what little you have, and give it? Will you? Because it's not about what little that you have. It's about putting it in Jesus' hands, and he begins to multiply it. He begins to multiply it. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And then back to Ezekiel. It's actually 47. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. You are carriers of his presence. And wherever you go, wherever you begin to pour out, out of your bellies, wherever you begin to pour out, God, God will use it. And there will be life. So last thing as I'm wrapping up, I promise. The pastor said I didn't have to go to 12, but I guess I thought I would. Um, you know, so, so we looked at the, the, the little boy. Will you give what you have? But what happens if we've been just like the disciples for so much of our life? What happens? You notice in the story, they missed it. They missed it. But God still used them. He didn't count them out because they didn't believe or didn't see things in the, nat- in the supernatural. He began to work the miracle. And if you look across all the different versions, it said he began to hand them the bread to pass out. They, they began, he began to hand them the bread. They became a part of the very miracle they didn't even believe in in the first place. God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. I love this quote from Lisa Bevere. If you think you've blown God's plan for your life, Rest in this. You, my beautiful friend, are not that powerful. You're not. Jump in. If you miss the boat, who cares? Don't go in on yourself and get all down on yourself. Oh, I I missed it again. Jump in right where you're at because you're going to miss the rest of it too. If you keep this pity party... Jump in. Have you missed it? Have you been missing it? Have you not entered and engaged in evangelism? 
Have you lived your life and not shared the gospel up until this point? Okay, do it now. Do it now. Start stepping out. <laughs> you know, we see, this, we see this over and over. Peter denied Christ three times and was still the one on the day of Pentecost who preached. God uses broken, silly, foolish people who don't listen to do his work. He does. If you take an even closer look in John 9, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each, and they did so. You know, the disciples may have missed out the first time, but Jesus said, you go do this, and they jumped. They were obedient, immediate. We have a little saying at my house, when do you listen? The first time. If you find yourself not listening to Jesus, maybe you need to say that to yourself. When should I listen? The first time. You know, we should be like little children. Sometimes we just need to go back to those things that we tell our kids. When do I need to listen to God? The first time. Immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When you hear his voice, when he speaks to you about someone, when he begins to tell you about a certain person to reach out to, will you jump? Will you be obedient? Will you do it? They may have missed out on the first opportunity, but they jumped at the second. The disciples were responsible to disciple those who followed Jesus. That was their job, and they missed it. But when they realized they missed it, they turned, turned around real fast. You know, the disciples made a decision to follow Christ. And Jesus was raising them up to teach others and disciple others. That was their job. The 12 began to pass out the food to the people. You know, another... Another funny anecdote from my life, you know, I look at this picture of the 12 handing out to the 20,000, and I, I have to wonder, how did that go? Because uh, if it went anything like dinner time at my house, it was a little chaotic. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I, I have three kids, and all three are eating solid foods now. So I have to first cook the meal, which thank the Lord for the disciples. Jesus did all that on their behalf. But as I begin to, to get it ready, I, I go ahead and I chop up all the food for one, and I chop up all the food for the next, and I get the food out of the cupboard for the other one, and I begin to hand it out. And by the end of doing all of that, I'm exhausted, my food's cold, and I just want to sit. You know, 12 people, how did 12 people hand out food to 20,000? How? Because they began to to pull people up next to them and say, hey, can you help me do this? Can you help me serve this simple way? Can you help me do this? Can you help me hand out this bread to this group? And they began to organize. They began to disciple. They began to teach people. That's how simple it is. You know, 5,000 people, 20,000 people, whatever the number was, if they were hungry enough, they would have stampeded Jesus to get that food. But we don't read that at the end of the story. We, we know 
that they all ate and were satisfied. It wasn't chaos, it wasn't turmoil. The disciples stepped up and they began to show and teach and raise up. That's the only way 12 people could have done this. And it would have been an all day thing. It wasn't just a, hey, I got 10 minutes, let's hand out all this food. You know, it was an all day thing. Discipleship takes effort and intentionality. It takes a lot of effort. You know, and I can go back to the, it's not about making another agenda. It's not about taking a whole separate day and saying, okay, now I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dedicate this to disciple this person and I'm gonna give them all I have for that. You still have to live your life. Discipleship is inviting people along, just like the disciples did. Inviting them along, saying, hey, will you help me? Hey, can you help me pass out this bread? You know, I love it. Jen, you know, when she first came around, she literally was in the office with me like every day, every day. And so Jen was my little disciple. And I didn't, I didn't take all this extra time. I still had to work. I couldn't get distracted from my work. So I just began to say, okay, Jen, this is how I do this. Do you want to watch me? Okay, now you've watched me a few times. Do you want to try and I'll watch you? Okay, now, you, now you've tried. Now I'm going to let you go just do it. All with the blessing of Pastor Zach and Heather, of course. But, you know, we began to set her out. And now, now she's our facilities manager. When she started out, she was just this, this person that just, like, was attached to my hip, you know, and just followed me around everywhere. I love you, Jen. You know I do. You know, she did. She followed me around. It wasn't a bad thing. But as she, as she, began, to be, as she began to be raised up and trained, and, I, and as I began to pour into her, she was raised up and she took over, you know, the first thing I think she took over was the food pantry, then the resource table, and then, you know, and then now she's on staff, you know, and now, now she's helping with ministry stuff. You know, she's, she's a ministry intern. Did I take a whole separate time of my life and, and say, this is gin time and this is family time and this is work time and da 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 da? No, I just invited her in along the journey. It's not that hard, but it does take effort and intentionality. You know, we, we've seen almost, if not over, 100 people saved in this building this year alone. I look around this church, that, yeah, I look around this church today, and I see a different celebration church than when I first stepped in, when I first stepped foot. There are baby Christians all around us. There are baby Christians all around us. We are a nursery. You know what happens to babies if you let them to their own devices? They give up. They do. You read about orphanages where there's not enough people to, to nurture and love on those babies. You know, people go into the orphanages and they're, they're all silent. All the babies are quiet. You're like, why are they quiet? They've given up. We're a nursery right now. And we should always be a nursery. But are we all being nurturers so that those babies aren't going to give up when it gets hard? Are you willing, if you've been saved for one minute, there's someone you can lead? Are you willing to begin to nurture those babies 
and bring them up. Bring them along the way. Invite them in on what you're doing. It's not a whole separate agenda. You know, get them to come to Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, care group. Invest in them and disciple them. Again, a great way to test this out with all your friends here to help you is Friends and Family Sunday. Go out this week. If you haven't already invited someone, invite them this week. Take a card. I'm sure we still have them out there. If not, I know we have the You're Invited cards. Just say, hey, we're having a barbecue at my church. Would you like to come? Would you like to come to church and then, and then come eat some food with me? I'd love to hang out with you. Invite. Invite. And then be willing to nurture. You know, if y'all just stand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close and pray. <sighs> Who is it? Who is it that God has put on your heart? Who's your one? You know, who, who are you seeing along your path, your day-to-day -day path that you can reach out to and pour into? Who are you seeing in these walls, in these four walls? You know, look around. Who's missing? Who's missing? Reach out to them. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that they matter to the kingdom of God. Let them know. I just want to take a time real fast. You know, if, <clears throat> if you're in this place and you haven't, uh, you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, this Jesus who had compassion on those 5,000. Maybe you don't know him and you want to know him. Today's your day. You know, I said earlier, hell is a very real place. It's a very real place. And there will be an eternity of suffering. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.